Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The test that I use is the Starbucks, the Starbucks test. Okay. And the Starbucks test is this. Would you pull out your device and put it on your head in the middle of Starbucks? <laughs> uh, until such point, you do not have a consumer device. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developer's podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Hey, Andre, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good, all things considered. Um, yeah, how are you doing with the COVID nineteen madness that's happening right now? You know, it's um, it, it's a big change, and it, it's it's um, it takes some adjustment to to uh, function normally. Um, yeah, I think that this is going to go on for a while. So I see it more of uh, of a marathon run rather than than a sprint, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, trying to pace myself uh, for a long haul. We're recording this on March 30th, so uh, whatever numbers I say today by the time this comes live are going to be small or compared to when it goes live. But yeah, I go on that Johns Hopkins site snapshot of the world and you pick by country and you can see it and it's crazy. It's changing the way everybody works. You know, our, our office and obviously most people listening to this are working remote. So, you know, it's, it's Zoom. Zoom is now a verb, right? You know, it's like, I'll Zoom you. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a whole new world and it's not, to your point, ending anytime soon, no matter what politicians say. It's listen to the scientists, listen to the data, listen to the CDC for here in America for what's going on. And There's no positive spin to this, you know. No, no. There's a, there's a change, definite, definite cultural shift as well as the, the you know, the shift in thinking and then mm -hmm. uh, us adapting to, to our day-to-day -day lives. It's going to play with people with any anxieties, uh, anxiety problems overall, mm -hmm. OCD to general anxiety to germophobes, uh, agoraphobics, you, you name it. Yeah. You know, this is going to mess with all of us. So what are your current roles? And I say that plurally because you're kind of in a unique situation right now uh, in terms of the game industry and, and software development. 
I've, I've done uh, my company for 18 years. Yeah. Uh, and we have seen a lot of uh, sudden changes and uh, disruptions, uh, technological. Mm-hmm. Mostly, you know, we started out in mobile uh, and mobile, uh, old school mobile. Flip yeah, phone, jammed at grayscale, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah, it's 16 colors, you know. The, the frame rate was so so bad that uh, Blur came for free. <laughs> you, <laughs> you would try to animate something and, and you get like this trail and Blur and it was awesome. Right. But then that was uh, early 2000s, 2001 or two. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, around 2007, I believe, uh, we had tremendous shift with uh, emergence of iPhone. Mm-hmm. That that was uh, really a game changer uh, over time. Just the slope uh, of the increase of ability of these devices to perform mm-hmm. uh, turn them into into something that compares to a, a computer. Yeah, and uh, you can pretty much run uh, PC games. Being a little generous here, but you can run PC games on your on your mobile. Yeah. And then, uh, so part of what we do, what I do still, is uh, dwell in that space of, of mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have efforts, or I'm in an effort to pursue virtual reality. I think uh, virtual reality is, uh, as a device uh, or as a, as a medium is a meaningful medium. It may, may not have the slope uh, of adoption that we wanted to see, Right. Uh, but I don't think that uh, VR, AR, or XR, cumulatively, yeah. is going to go away. Uh, I think it's just a matter of having that 2007 moment that we had with iPhone, mm-hmm. where somebody comes out with a device that uh, looks amazingly sexy. The test that I use is the Starbucks, the Starbucks test. Okay. And Starbucks, the Starbucks test is this. Would you pull out your device and put it on your head in the middle of Starbucks? <laughs> uh, until such point, you do not have a consumer device. Okay. Uh, but if you have to do it, otherwise you will just do it at home or right. somewhere you can be private because it does not give you that sexiness yeah. uh, that you want to flaunt it in public. Right. But the moment you come to Starbucks and you pull it out and put, your, put it on your head, uh, and it looks sexy. That's the moment you're going to find it under your holiday tree. No, uh, yeah, that, that's a great metaphor because yeah, it, it's it's kind of like that sexy and/or this is so compelling. I don't give a shit, and I'm going to put this on in a Starbucks because I I need to experience this thing on the the quest or whatever you know whatever that thing is. But it, it has to be something light that has AR in it and and VR and or XR. Yeah, experience. Um, that's coming. I don't know when. I, I'm mm-hmm. out of the, the betting game. I still see our effort in it as a meaningful effort. Lastly, I, I started a, um, a new gig of doing meditation in virtual reality, which mm-hmm. is a, um, a broadcast uh, live feed, live streaming feed into virtual mm-hmm. uh, reality. That's a, that's a transformative, immersive experience. Uh, the user gets taken to this to be or a place of meditation. Right. And, uh, and it's in real time, so it's not canned, right? So it, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's this moment, in this moment, not the deferred later moment or mm-hmm. previous moment. It is uh, the this moment. Yeah. And that solves for geography and solves for uh, physiological, emotional uh, mm-hmm. 
abilities to attend a class or stuff. To me, that that space is very interesting, um, live streaming VR. I started that before COVID, and now with COVID, it makes even more sense to right. get out of the house, at least virtually. So yeah, that, that company is Third Eye Center, right? Was it? Yeah, Third Eye Center. Right. Uh, live, because we're live. Right. But uh, it's Third Eye Center. And uh, yeah, and, and that's what we do. We, we uh, do right. a lot of meditation in virtual reality. And the other companies, you want to name those just um, for people listening oh, sure. to the reference? Uh, yeah. you know, my, my, my baby is uh, Babaroga. Um, right. and that's been uh, my game dev company for 18 years. Wow. That when I joined the game industry, in, in um, I was walking through the hallways of Viacom New Media, and I didn't see anybody over 30. And <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I would I would walk around and I would say, what happened to all the old people? Well, <laughs> uh, do they take them out in the back and shoot them? That's like <laughs> Logan's run, you know, you suddenly reach that limit and you have to be taken out. All right. Well, it turns out that by 30, you burn out um, and you're done with the whole industry. And then mm-hmm. uh, you either leave and go to banking or something more meaningful uh, mm-hmm. or something else. I, I'll take it back. Uh, right, right. Or, uh, easier but, in your lifestyle yeah <laughs> better lifestyle uh, quality of life yeah. uh, uh or um or yeah, they end up in, in in contracting which is where i started mm-hmm. uh and um from there i built out a company just from the contracts we had and and that's pretty much how it's been run for all these years is that we just live on the contracts uh, and work in the contracts that we get. So you're a mobile studio that's a hired gun that works with publishers and... Uh, we work with publishers, we self-publish mm-hmm. times, but uh, mm-hmm. we um, have done everything from rescue workboards to brand new, you know, full project development. So we've, done, we've seen it all. Back to starting. So I know the story, but how did you get started in this video game industry craziness? I always liked games, but I never thought I would get a chance to make games. It was uh, it was not an industry with an easy entry in uh, early nineties. At least I didn't know how one enters such industry. Yeah, um, and I was more on the traditional uh, path of what I thought would be traditional path of employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I in Chicago Reader, which was a local publication. I don't think I don't know if they're still in print. Mm, I don't know. Uh, in Chicago Reader, there was an ad to that I believe said, or I have internalized, that it said, play games, make money, no experience necessary. <laughs> and I, I looked at that ad and I said, wow, that, that can't be real. I, you know, I'll apply. It's going to make a good uh, bar story, you know. <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and then I got a call. No way. I'm going to go and, and uh, interview Absolutely, I, I would love this. And then um, right. I showed up, and I remember I drove up to to the suburb, uh, uh, Buffalo Grove, yep. and uh, I was wearing um, a suit with a tie. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I should go. And I parked in front of the entrance, and I was sitting in the car, pondering if I should walk in with a suit jacket and a tie. Yeah. And I'm like, I need to go and interview for a game job. Should I really be walking in in a suit? <laughs> so I, I took off my tie. I took off my jacket. I pulled out my, my uh, shirt out of my pants and I walked in. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. 
And, and then later on, I found out that if I showed up actually with a tie and a suit jacket, I would have never gotten a job. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was a good call. Good call, sit in the car before the interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ponder, you know, uh, my look. Uh, and then, then uh, I believe, John, you asked me, since you interviewed me, uh, what was what's your favorite game? That was the first question. And I was like, Wow! Look at that. I've met, you know I've always gotten a job interview that asked me about my 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 favorite game, and we talked, right. and I, you walked me around the the QA, and I was amazed because there was a bunch of bunch of kids with their feet on the on the desks playing games, <laughs> what looked like playing games. The next thing is I got the job. I showed up, and then I found out that QA is one of the hardest jobs you can have in the game industry. Yep. It really is um, that job that tests uh, your abilities to 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 keep focus and stay on something that at times feels very tedious. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just playing the game because if you play the game and there are no bugs, then the game is done and you don't get to play. It. Um, right. But if if it has issues, you have to describe them and reproduce them and and solve them and present to whoever needs to see it. Record video time. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. So I, I spent uh, three months uh, in QA. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that uh, um, somebody came into into the um, a QA room, uh, accused us of slacking and not working. Mm. I I was in my vitreous early twenties, and I said, <laughs> "Well, I never." And I walked over to um, uh, HR and said, "Hey, you know what? I can actually program." And uh, I believe with your help and help a few other people, I, I uh, made my way out into programming uh, branch, mm-hmm. and the rest is history. That's you know that's where I kicked off. So you did your three months of boot camp because uh, QA, especially back in the '90s, was just like, can you survive this gauntlet of playing this buggy license game with a short deadline, working many hours, trying to get this thing done? And it's it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, do you have the stomach for this? Because it, it was. Uh, it was tough. I, and and it, you know, I, I've been around for many years, and I still reflect to those three months. I can't believe it was just three months that I was in QA, but it, it seems like, <laughs> seems like so seven years. <laughs> those three months, you know, <laughs> lifetime for it. Yeah, those those were crazy times. That was a, a a QA software QA and hardware because that was back a lot of times before even DirectX. So you had to have this suite of video cards to test and write the drivers to to play the games and if the hardware was quirky and the install base wasn't so hot you just put it in the readme and too bad so sad your weird little video card will not play this game because it's just too much work so there was a hardware qa and then software qa and that, that team was about 25 people with viacom publishing all kinds of games developed mostly yeah, and this is a very talented crew i mean from from uh, yeah. QA to to production staff uh, it was it was a really really talented yeah point. yeah we, we, there were some hits but um, sometimes media companies just don't have a stomach uh, for the long long view and uh, not having enough hits in a row so yeah we shut down so so now reflecting back seeing all that you've learned between then and now like what do you wish you had known when you had started there, there's a lot that changes with age and experience. Um, what I wish I knew. If you could tell that twenty-something, you you know, it's it's the resilience and, and persistence. Uh, I, I think that's that's a thing that I would think I could succeed in this um, industries if I 
if I kept the uh, resilience and persistence. Yeah. What would I? What else would I say? I would say don't take everything too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of effort was spent in in things that are really not that memorable. Yeah. In terms of even getting caught in the politics of things, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, thought about that question a fair amount, and I. Somebody said the older you get, the less advice. Uh, if you learn anything, the less advice you have to give. <laughs> so older <laughs> I get, there's really less I can I, I can advise back. Uh, yeah. Not because I don't want to, but just because I really don't think I can. Um, no, but that, that 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 is good advice about don't take everything so seriously because, like you know, in the heat of the moment, you know, Congo the game has to ship or the world is going to end, and you know. 25 years later, who, who gives a shit, right? It was um, one game of, of many games and, you know, it, it's not worth um, killing yourself over. So yeah, be serious, be focused, be dedicated. But um, especially if you have the personality where you, you're you so earnest that you don't don't let yourself get overwhelmed and keep things in perspective. Like with this, you know, with this matter a year from now, with this matter five years from I, now. I think, you know, one of, one of the learning points, one of the, uh, when you walk in and you start uh, programming and you're an engineer, Paid mm-hmm. engineer making games for the first time. Yeah. To me, there was a lot of insecurity of can I actually do this? Mm-hmm. And um, the story, again, uh, I think you've heard the story, but the story I like to tell is uh, I would go to the senior uh, engineer, uh, I would go to Fred Allen. Yep. And I would walk into his office and say, Well, how do you do this? Uh, how do you do that? And um, I think I overstepped my line uh, one too many times. And at one point, he turned to me and said, why don't you just handle it? Uh, and and I, you know, it made me step back, jump, you know, jump out of my seat, and I um, thought to myself and said, "Yeah, I, I think he's right. I need to handle it." Right. Um, and then I, you know, went back to work and and um, just focused on on the task and and uh, read the manual when required and or needed, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, started solving my own issues. Being able to to embrace your problems or mm-hmm. problems your, your tasks, uh, staying with it, uh, and being resilient in in um, in those situations, taking it seriously, but not mm-hmm. not getting caught up in on details that are out of your control again. Right, or yeah, to your point, like um, that you were thinking to yourself, is this right? Do I do this? Do I do that? And and you were given that like, hey guy, figure it out, and you're like, all right. It gives you the confidence to know that like, hey, he trusts me or he doesn't have time for me. So I just need to figure this out on my own and I'm just going to do what I think is right and, and see where the chips well, fall. I'm seeing it from the employer. Um, so from the opposite side, I'm seeing it as an employer or somebody who manages people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I do a hire and they, are, um, they can maintain their own tasks and solve their own problems, I welcome that very much so. That's what you want to see in a person who can come up and yeah. uh, get tasks done without much. Uh, no, that's cool. And, and that kind of rolls into my next question. Like, you know, what advice would you give someone looking to get their first job? Uh, that ability to be uh, uh, self-sufficient. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, know which questions to ask and which to research. Be able to embrace the tasks. My experience that the way I would like people when they come on is to do what they get hired to do and then uh, spread out in any other task that they want to. Uh, so any other interests that they may have, um, explore. Find find what gives you meaning. Um, 
but really handle the, the task at hand and do it well. And then, then the world is your oyster. There's that story about like, before you can ask someone a question, you have to ask the rubber duck and it kind of forces you to think through the question. I just pulled it up. It's like rubber, rubber duck debugging is a method of debugging code. The name is reference to the pragmatic programmer, which carries a rubber duck and debugs their code by forcing themselves to explain it line by line to a duck. <laughs> Have you ever That's heard of awesome. this? That is awesome. Yeah. So it's like, before you go to someone like, all right, explain it to the duck, the rubber duck sitting there by your computer, and then that'll click something in your head before you need to actually reach out. So it's called the rubber duck debugging. And it's a book called The Pragmatic Programmer. So what about somebody further in their career, like looking to advance as an engineer or, I mean, you're a CTO. So like, you know, what CTO and founder and owner. So like, what advice would you give those people that are already in the industry? Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev dev advice. Thanks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It really comes down to where your interests are. If there are interests uh, that you would like to pursue, that you don't treat it as a job, really as something that want to wake up into and handle it. Um, otherwise, it becomes a chore. So yeah. curiosity, uh, exploration. Mm -hmm. um, and finding a, a thread that's meaningful. Outside of that, um, I, I was never a person that enjoyed repetition, uh, so repetitive work would, would really alienate me quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and this industry is, I can tell you, not repetitive. Um, <laughs> there's always something new. It may be a, a, a riff on, a, on an old tongue, but you know, it's still a... Right. Yeah, no, and, and that's the point too, is like when you're when you're further in your career, you've you've experienced doing these different types of things in whatever your discipline is. So you should have a better sense of like that excites me. That you know, I think about that when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. I'm passionate about doing that, but that other thing that's repetitive, dislike doing that. So I need to figure out how to do that that first thing more, or or vice versa. If you like more structure and not the randomness, maybe you're more into the repetitive and being better at a craft and doing well, something over and over. So. Video game industry overall is uh, moving very fast. It is one of those uh, razor's edge industries mm -hmm. that, that are always on the edge of innovation. So if you're talking about uh, when we were all in console and uh, you know, phones emerged, looking at phones and saying, Billy, you can play games in this. And right. then you had different steps in evolution of that. And now you're in virtual reality. So there, there are all of these steps and all of these uh, new advances in the in, in the hardware uh, and software that gets you to make something different or explore a different venue. So it's not repetitive in in the sense that you're you know stamping uh, things, yeah, building doorknobs. You're not. You're you're always uh, evolving on some level mm -hmm. uh, and and trying to stay 
relevant. Yeah, and I think that's key too, is for longevity in the industry, you need to stay on top of what the latest tools are, whether you're an artist or programmer designer and and figure out where the industry's going and not j- just being kind of like, uh, just keep doing the same thing and letting the world pass you by. You, you need to stay on top of that stuff and think of it as a craft and trying to figure out how to improve yourself, whatever you do so that you're more valuable. So in terms of projects, what's been like one or two of your favorite games or projects you've worked on? That's a hard one as well. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to answer it in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, the the project the, the things that you get out of the license and it may be an interesting license that you're working on. So yeah. uh, having worked with EA uh, for multiple decades, you'll see a fair amount of licenses. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, um, where the fun for me is in a particular setup of a team where the production process uh, is innovative um, and enjoyable. And it can be just uh, people coming together to execute a really well done game. Uh, mm-hmm. And those kind of things are much more meaningful than the end product to me, uh, because the process of making was fun of doing it. That's great. So it could be something like like my sims that we worked on where the we created the content uh, our relationship with the publisher was uh, excellent the uh, development in 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 the company was was awesome mm. so you know content like that is really because that's my day to day that's what i like to see that's what i like to do i like to make and then you've worked in some licenses. Didn't you work on something with Judas Priest? We made a a, a game that we tried to so th- there was this uh, the whole idea is that Judas Priest and Bob Halford really invented, and I know that these are them fighting words, but uh, uh, created heavy metal look and feel with all of the leather, right? And uh-huh. you go through this journey of, of heavy metal and, and Judas Priest, you end up with uh, Mad Max or the last iteration of the movie. I know the, the, that's a, those are fighting words too. But anyway, <laughs> um, you end up, so uh, allow me this. Uh, at least these dots that I'm trying to connect. Yeah. So you look at Mad Max, um, and it was really like this Judas Priest, or at least heavy metal look to post-apocalyptic. So right. we created a game that played off of Mad Max and Judas Priest, uh, the whole portfolio, and then uh, tied in a, a, a Guitar Hero or Tap Tap mechanic on mobile. So we mm-hmm. tried to create this adventure uh, that they're on um, that was very uh, storytelling through Guitar Hero. And, and you got to meet Rob in the band and stuff like that and do something uh, like that? actually wrote lines for Rob to say, how cool is that? <laughs> and then, then uh, Rob went and uh, improv and uh, all of the footage made it into the game. So that's what, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, then we went to, and I think we were a little ahead of our time, wanted to go and uh, create a licensed version of uh, Guitar Hero Tap Tap in virtual reality. This was, you know, uh, maybe a year. HTC just released their uh, hardware at that time. Mm-hmm. So we created this, uh, you would use the controllers, the, the hand controllers, and you would whack uh, the notes that were coming your way or cars coming your way. And okay. Then you're on top of the bus, and you have these long things that you would beat them. Uh, later, it was um, another company, the game called Saber Beats. Yeah, I was just saying, it started selling yeah. Saber Beats. Yeah, right. We were a little ahead, and and we couldn't sell the the, uh, you know, the, the our concept didn't didn't stick. 
But you were there and Saber Beats, yeah, because Saber Beats is everywhere. Well, yeah. Saber Beats did its thing, they did excellent execution. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but I knew that there was uh, space for for the for a music game in VR, and uh, Saber Beats did its thing, you know. Yeah, tried it. that's cool. Yeah. It, it validates that uh, theory, right? Because because of how well that is done. Yeah. So in terms of the industry, like like what are you curious about right now? I mean, we talked a lot about AR, VR, XR. Um, well, I, I think I'm on that uh, XR path. It's not uh, at the moment. It's it's not glamorous, and uh, people roll their eyes when you mention it. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a it's a path that I see um, long term. It's a, it's a long play, but uh, I I see there is a huge potential, especially uh, going back to where we started in in the cultural shift that we have today. Yeah. Um, makes a lot more sense. I don't think that there has been a killer app and I don't think the execution is so clunky in, in some ways, but I just because it's not there yet doesn't mean it doesn't uh, hold the promise. So mm-hmm. what about, um, you know, threats or, or things in the industry that you're concerned about, whether it's from within the industry or, you know, external? Uh, when we started, or at least when I started in this industry, it was a completely different space um we made games uh we put them on the shelf mm-hmm. uh, they were at walmart and they were at kmart and they were at best buy babbages <laughs> yeah, babbages that's right uh that made a lot of sense then we went through the phase of uh mobile where everything shifted uh we went from what your console game would cost at 40 dollars or 14 on the low end uh, we went to mobile that went from 14 very quickly to 10 to 5. Uh, and then we went to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we went to spending money at zero. So it was actually costing the user acquisition uh, started growing. You would pay a lot of money hoping that you could convert somebody to spend money on your games instead of giving it out for free. Yeah. Which completely devalued the game itself. Games uh, slowly became or some of the games slowly became just money pits without any game quality. And um, I think there has been some shift away from that, but still that mm-hmm. it's hard to be in a conversation where it doesn't end up uh, in a discussion about the cost of user acquisition and uh, how do you uh, recoup the money uh, from free-to-play and most of the games are still free-to-play in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been one of the fundamental shifts that I'm not enjoying. Um, mm-hmm. For the depth of games that we used to, or at least they perceived having, you know, your old looking glass games. Yeah, it was an experience and you, you, it was you, an paid experience. The, you paid the ticket and you got the ride and it was all there. Right. Right? And uh, 40 hours of gameplay or 80 hours of gameplay you would spend, it was different. It wasn't just a rehashed first level with lesser graphics. It right. was really an experience to... And you feel at the end of the journey that you have journeyed. That's what I miss. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I fear that we are in the this very impulsive, short attention gameplay cycle mm-hmm. right now. And I hope the changes. Yeah. And there's the, um, you know, these things like Apple Arcade, which I find interesting, right? Because it's like, you know, it's all you can eat and you you pay that uh, monthly amount, but then you're not being nickel and dimed with, you know, shaking the can uh, to play the game. So what about funny or odd story from working in the industry? 
<laughs> uh, I do, that's, that uh, comes with the, the cost of peeling uh, scabs. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about the first place, Viacom, there was so many uh, characters there and such a weird place and fun and exciting and frustrating all rolled into one. So, yeah, you know, there's probably... Yeah. The stories from that there, there, there are, and, and from my perspective, I started out uh, as entry in the industry, and I'm seeing it as a veteran in the industry. And I think you mentioned in a, some other conversation that you know, uh, people our age, there's only like five percent still left in the industry, or some some yeah. very small number of, of uh, people who have spent all of their career uh, in the in the games. I'm like one or two percent of my age, so yeah, it's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you reflect on it and you see it from uh, this uh, vantage and you look at those those humor humor filled stories suddenly come with a different uh, from a different perspective and it's like oh I see I see you know more to the story from my point and and and, and then it becomes a little more cringy but um, <laughs> hey you worked with Judas Priest and uh, Rob got to see some of your lines so that, you know that's a good story that's, that, yeah uh, and then we did a, a 3D printing of Rob's head. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Only one day's work. And the days, yeah. What game or games are you playing now that you're excited about? Currently, what I play are games for research. It, it yeah. has come down where um, we have to dissect uh, either things for inspiration or uh, competition, um, see how the mechanics is done by somebody else, innovate on that. So, mm-hmm. In my world, it has really become just about looking at things from the, the perspective of having to make them out. Is there anything uh, I should have asked you about but didn't? So my favorite uh, interview question I give to potential candidates. Hmm. Uh, what is that? Is uh, if you were me, what what would be the question? One question you would ask you. And uh, my favorite answer that I got from uh, this kid was, I would ask me, what's my favorite game that you guys made? And I said, uh, okay. okay, great, great question. So what's your favorite game that you made? Uh-huh. And he says, I don't know, I didn't play any. Fantastic, <laughs> 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 great question. You just beat yourself out. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, you're like, this guy did his homework. He's going to tell me. About my yeah. Sims and why he loved right. the controls. And don't feel everything from like in 2002, you did this game. Really? I did? That's awesome. Thanks for reminding me. Right. And you're like, oh, man. It, you know, and that's a good point, too, is like, there's no excuse, people. It's like, there's this thing called the interwebs. You can do a little bit of research, spend a little bit of time before you talk with a company and so you can speak with some intelligence and ask that question back if you get the question asked. It's it's sometimes shocking when you see people that that have no idea about what the company does and you're like, do you know how easy it is now? We all have computers in our pockets, right? Like, And it reflects so poorly on, you, on yourself as a candidate if you can't speak to what the company does to some degree. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, Rain Man and recite everything back verbatim, but you have to have some idea 
especially if you're doing it on-site. That's just crazy. Well, it, it's a heck of a competition uh, to get into video game industry. And then uh, there's mass application to all companies you can find. And you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. A lot of errors are made in that uh, rush to apply where it... Um, uh, a candidate would use a form letter uh, without putting, without proofing it, and then I would get, um, dear, uh, you know, sir, I would like to apply to your uh, for a position at uh, Incredible Technologies. And yes. Like, uh, you know, that's great. <laughs> Wrong email. Wrong. Right. I've seen those too. I'm like, wow, that's great. Wrong company. Like, attention to detail. Strike. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is a curated personal approach you don't you know shotgun blast trying to get a job and then wonder why nobody calls you when you email like 30 companies and have designer on your resume and you're applying for a programmer job or or, or artist job and it's like you, you have to be smart and there's there's a lot more companies in the industry now than you know when we started but at the same time there's a hell of a lot more competition so i think you have to be smart about it you have to personalize stuff you have to have experience for the things that are in the job description so that the person on the other end like you or or i or somebody else can be like yeah i'm looking for a b and c and they have a b here on their experience and part of c this is worth time to pursue versus just shotgun blast i'm going to send some resumes making sure that your applications are meaningful, that you're applying to companies where you want to apply, where you want to work, mm-hmm. and then put effort into um, presenting yourself in the best light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those kind of things, the attention to detail in application make um, a whole lot of a difference uh, to me uh, when, when these applications show up in the inbox. Right, because it, it, it kind of speaks to your your personality, right? Like if, right. if you're not paying attention to detail for this, then how sloppy is your code going to be? Are you going to check in art files that don't follow our standards and there's uh, uh, textures all over the place? And you know what I mean? It, it just kind of speaks to how you do one thing is how you do everything. So you have to have that attention to detail to show that you're professional and not just scattershot. Okay, so where can people find you online? Like uh, website, Twitter? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, Babaroga, uh, B-A-B-A-R-O-G-A dot com. That's the home base. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I am uh, Andrea at Babaroga. Um, okay. And then, um, uh, you know, Third, uh, Third Eye Center is um, uh, pretty much the same same thing um, mm-hmm. on, on the website. Yeah, we at Third Eye Center uh, at Third Eye Center VR on social media. So uh, yeah, do do please reach out. You know, uh, you're based here in Chicago, and that again, that's amazing. You've been doing this since 2002 on mobile, and especially people who are interested in VR, who are interested in meditation, who are you know trying to deal with the craziness that's our world. This uh, this VR stuff that you're doing is pretty exciting. I, I went by and I checked it out. That, uh, Meditation is a wonderful tool. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, it is a. It doesn't. It will not solve. It will not solve problems, but it provides you with a set of tools to use within yourself. Yeah. Well, give yourself space to process the problems and solve them in, in, in a not reactive way, in not a way that is counterproductive. Uh, creating that space is um, is a wonderful thing. A wonderful work you can do on yourself 
uh, to get there. So I, I'm very. I discovered meditation a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it has made a whole lot of difference in my life. Uh, and I, I, I cannot. You know, it's it's a third day center has been a, um, a work of passion for me. It, it's been something that uh, I really believe in. So, mm-hmm. so that that's where third day uh, is for me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, video games is really because it's fun. Uh, yeah and i I do it because i enjoy it and and that's fair and you you know in terms of meditation thing it's like it's not a cult you're you're not going to shave your head right you you know it's there's all kinds of different ways to do it and it's just a place to have a little bit of peace and just kind of collectively catch your breath and people are like you know it's funny like the people that i know that are the most antagonistic about the idea are, are also the ones that need it the most they're the most stressed out angry raging people that i know but they they have no desire to do it but i'm like look at your you're going nuts it's like it just doesn't cost you anything why would you not want to just try it for a little bit to see if it gives you a, a little bit of a break or a little bit of peace or lets you deal with processing stuff and it, it just um it always blows me away that those people that push away from it the hardest are the ones that that could benefit the most from it and yeah there's all kinds of ways you can do it um you know what you're doing i think is exciting there's tons of apps out there like calm and headspace and uh 10 happier with so one of the things that i do um when I get meditation uh, guide uh, is really try to help facilitate a conversation before uh, before the meditation and after. And mm-hmm. uh, similar to what 10% Happier does, I, I think there's a pushback against meditation because uh, meditation is not understood uh, as a tool. Yeah. There, there are many approaches to meditation. You can approach it from the spiritual end or you can uh, approach it from the uh, pragmatic end. Uh, but the point of what is meditation and how what does it do for me, those kind of questions, mm-hmm. I think uh, are not easily uh, or not always answered. Uh, and I think providing those sort of answers of uh, meditation as a tool that creates the space and allows you to process feelings, process, not run away from things that are uncomfortable, but finding comfort in discomfort, understanding mm-hmm. that your place in the in the flow of mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, is, uh, is why meditation is valuable. Uh, and, and it makes complete, and, you know, it may be uh, focusing on a mantra, or it could be focusing on your breath, or focusing on something, a point of focus that brings you present, aware, and I'm able to to find that space. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very simple notion, and it at times feels very hard to convey to people who are resistant. And you know, maybe it's not for them now, but uh, in time, maybe they'll get to that space and and figure it out on how useful it is. Meditation. You don't glorify a hammer. A hammer is a, uh, a tool that allows you to nail things. Right. Meditation allows you to build that space. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it does for me. Yeah, the, the, I think the phrase I've heard too is there's the s- stimulant, like, you know, the input, and then there's a the response, right? So, you know, being able to process and have a gap between those two, between going uh-huh. straight to hairline trigger and, you know, blowing a gasket, but being able to have that that space in between the stimulus and then the response, something you can learn through meditation and not do it all the time, right? Nobody's nobody's perfect. Maybe the Dalai Lama is close to it, but um, whatever, at, at least just being able to have those gaps sometimes where you don't go straight from zero to 140 miles an hour dealing with something uh, in a way that you regret later, right? That um, somebody's pissed off at you for 48 hours or or more or and, something and worse. Finding, uh, personally, finding that, Again, we keep referencing 
today's age, but I think it's relevant. The anxieties of, of being um, in the U.S. on March 30th, mm-hmm. you know, instead of uh, self-medicating or finding some different ways of distraction, uh, just being with it, understanding that this is uh, that it is a difficult situation, that it is hard, that it's tragic, mm-hmm. finding some ability to process it, that uh, giving yourself calm to be able to sit with it. Uh, I, I think that's that's a, a much different approach than my previous approaches, which would have been to escape into some level of, you know, Netflix binging or something. Right. Or I, I remember Candy that, Crush uh, Marathon or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So it, it allows you to to actually process. Not that, like Candy Crush, to, but yeah. You, you don't have to be in the news cycle uh, the whole time or on social media the whole time, but it allows you to sit there and, and just mm-hmm. find some comfort in this very difficult situation. Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of times, too, people get freaked out about what's going on. So they, they look to self medicate, they look to distract, they look for that cotton candy, dopamine hit of whatever it is to distract them. But in the back of their minds, they always know that thing's there, right? And it's it's always there. And you're like, I'm just going to keep getting distracted because I got I got to deal with that. And it's always kind of lingering, just getting you more anxious, even though you're, you're getting that kind of cotton candy dopamine hit from Netflix or the video game or the 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 third bottle or third, third bottle, third glass of scotch, whatever it is, understanding that you're like, it's not going to go away. It's there. So you have to figure out how to lean into it and just kind of come to peace with it versus trying to distract yourself. And then it gets even to be a bigger boogeyman to deal with later, which adds more anxiety because you're like, I got to deal with that boogeyman later, but I'm going to keep playing this game now or watch season three of the Ozark or whatever the hell it is. That, that's why uh, I like the Dan Harris story uh, of him being a, a live uh, newscaster on ABC mm-hmm. and then having a complete breakdown. Uh, he yeah. was on TV. self-medicating and then had a panic attack yeah. broadcast. Yep. And then uh, that is what, without belaboring the point, that, that is what uh, led to discovering meditation. For mm-hmm. I heard that story and I'm like, okay. And then I listened to Dan Harris for a while. Yeah, so did I. And it, yeah, he has a lot of insight and uh, that's right. interesting guy. And there's a, a great podcast and a great app. So it, it's, a, it's a way that gets into it that is also a little bit more just about the science and a little bit more not clinical, but but less, you know, bells and smells and and gongs and, and, and things that might turn some people off. You will come across, uh, you know, you, you will have pop culture uh, meditation experts like Ram Dass, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, Jack Cornfield. And then you have the, the silent heroes like John Kabat-Zinn, the, the guy who yeah. started in the SR. MSRB, right? Uh, yeah, he started that. Yeah. And John Kabat-Zinn is amazing. All right. So hopefully people have some ideas on how to deal with this uh, of the COVID thing world here to try and help, whether it's COVID-19 or just life in general, right? Because right. this, this stuff is all very applicable a month ago, uh, let alone now. So All of our lives are filled with stress. Mm-hmm. Um, coping with stress is essential. Um, this is additional layer that uh, nobody asked for, uh, but, you know, we process it and we do mm-hmm. the best we can with what we have. That's some great info. Uh, thanks for sharing your ideas and perspectives on that. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, John, for having me on. This was uh, really fun. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, so did I. I. I think this was a really cool discussion and hopefully everyone enjoys it and has some ideas for um, dealing with the situation. Everybody stay safe. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. 
go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.